you've noticed lately things are a little more expensive than they used to be, well, you'd be right. Inflation is one of the many areas affecting people in regard to fear and finances. Lots of people are having a difficult time paying bills, and credit card debt is only getting worse. There are so many ways our financial situation can cause fear. Well, today, Chris is going to address what's at the root of that fear and how to change your mindset so you can be free of that fear. Here's Chris. Well, good morning, Newbridge Church. How are you guys? Good. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, before I jump into the message for this morning, just want to give you guys an update on what is going on across the street. Uh, we are, if you're new with us, we are renovating the building across the street that used to be the Children's Museum and turning it into a childcare facility that will host during the week 236 kids, which is going to make a huge difference in our community. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and, uh, and, and guys, you are, we are the, uh, the heartbeat behind that. We are the, the, what has made that happen. And, uh, and it is so exciting this week we had a, uh, a groundbreaking now, which is kind of funny because we're, our, we already have drywall up on the second floor, but, uh, it was a kind of the official we're, we're fundraising beyond the church. Cause this is such a huge project. Um, but, uh, so we had this groundbreaking press release, all the news stations were there. Uh, and, uh, it was just a really, really neat moment. You would be very proud if you were, if, if you had been there of just your church. Uh, it was just a really neat th- thing. The mayor spoke, some other, other folks spoke, said wonderful things about the church and just the partnership and who we are in our community and the impact that we're about to have through this, this center. So it was really neat. Um, again, I just wanted to, we shared some renderings, some drawings of, of what it's going to look like when it's done. It is changing and morphing. One of the things we're doing is we're pursuing historic tax credits on this project, which will provide a lot of the money towards making it happen. And so um, there are things that we couldn't do that we originally designed in. I just wanted to show you the updated pictures. So go ahead and put those up. It's opening. Oh, by the way, timeline. Uh, we are scheduled to open in August. So uh, if you're interested in getting your kid on the wait list, or you know somebody who needs to get a kid on the wait list, the wait list in Wheeling right now is somewhere between 20 and 30 months, uh, you can go to the website, and um, which you got this in your program, and it has QR codes on the back, so you can go direct, directly to the website or give this to somebody, and you can sign up to get on the wait list. And if you're interested in working at the child care center, uh, you can express your interest there. We're not taking applications yet, but just interest. Uh, you can get on that wait list and we'll contact, contact you when we are hiring, which is going to come fast. So there's that. Anyway, um, let's put them back up. This is, um, I think, before we had it painted. We're not allowed to paint it because of the historic stuff, but we're going to do a bunch of other things to dress it up real nice. Um, isn't that cool? That's just uh, kind of what, this is the gateway to the city of Wheeling. We have probably the most visible building on the gateway. Um, it's going to be called Newbridge Center. Um, and so Newbridge Academy for Kids on the front NB Cafe. Our folks on Sunday mornings will go in the side, 10th Street side, and that's uh, Newbridge Kids. And so go ahead. Little rendering of what it's going to look like upstairs. The entire upstairs is going to be kids' space. Downstairs, probably about two thirds of it will be kids' space, complete with a cafe on the front 
front side, Main Street side, that will be our fellowship area to gather. Behind that, a playground, and again, check-in area, Sunday mornings, all that space will be hangout space after church for families to gather, people to gather, um, so we're not just leaving the, the theater and running out, running out. Next one. So if you're interested in finding out more about the child care, you want to be a part of it, please go to the website, sign up, let us know. This is coming fast, guys. This is, it's, it's amazing in a, in, a, in a city where it takes five years to do a streetscape project. That we're going to have this done in seven months. Uh, it really is exciting, and uh, it's going to make a big splash in the, in the community. So thank you for making this happen. You guys, your faithfulness, your vision, and uh, it's, it's remarkable. So, all right, there's that. Well, we are in a series called Fear Not. I'm shifting gears there, okay? We're, we're going into the, the, to the sermon. We're in a series called Fear Not. Because we live in an age where there is a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. And God says over and over again in his word to not fear, to fear not is oftentimes how that is declared. Uh, Because why? Because he's with us. And if you have the God of the universe who created everything, who owns everything, has every resource at his, his fingertips, if he's with you, it would be logical that you would not be afraid of things. But what do we do? Why do we become afraid? Because we forget that, right? Or because that hasn't become real in our hearts yet. And so we're spending this series, about 10 or 11 weeks, looking at different aspects of what we fear and then applying God's principles to that. And the the hope is, this isn't a one-and-done sermon, you know, don't fear, here's the principles. We're we're, we're sowing this in layer by layer into our lives over the course of this series. And this week, we're talking about financial fear. Financial fear is so prevalent in our culture today. I mean, it's something that people, human beings, have have dealt with since the beginning of time. We put our hope in our things and in our money, and we find our security there. And then if the economy's bad, if things go, something goes wrong, we're just shaken. And, And so now we live in a time where inflation is real. Has anybody felt inflation? Has anybody been to the grocery store? I went to the grocery store a couple weeks ago. I bought a stick of deodorant and a little tin of refrigerator uh, biscuits. You know what I'm talking about? All right. It was over $10. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, it's like it wasn't a bag of groceries. It was was just two little things in a bag of groceries over $10. So we're all feeling that. It's very real. Uh, Ramsey Solutions, uh, the folks who put together Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with him, they had an article out a few weeks ago about looking back on the last quarter and how the state of America is, how people are feeling. This is what they found in their research. 51% of Americans are having difficulty paying their bills right now. 50, over half. That's crazy. 42%... Difficult pay, difficulty paying for food. 49% said the same thing about utilities. Has anybody else noticed the price of utilities? Incredible. Uh, 64% of renters are having difficulty coming up with the monthly rent. And 75% of Americans are worried about the direction the economy's going in. 
which means between the 51% who are struggling to pay their bills and the 75% who are worried about where it's going, there's 24% in there that are, I'm making it work right now, but as I look ahead, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to. But the stunning stat that they came up with is this. 49% of Americans said their finances have had a negative impact on their mental health. That's financial fear. Guys, half the country is dealing with financial anxiety and fear. And the realities of our financial world is, is, I mean, it's real. It's very real. Now, if you're not dealing with that, God bless you. Uh, If you are, Man, it's real. Feel it. And, uh, and uh, we are, we got to, uh, we really got to, got to address this. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks on this one. Uh, originally, I had written this sermon and, and it ended up being like 50 minutes long because there were two parts to it. So we're breaking it into two sections. Um, of all the areas that God instructs us, to not be afraid in, this is probably the top of the list. Jesus talked more about about this than just about anything else. Um, And there is a way to live in this life with a peace that defies your circumstances. The Apostle Paul calls it peace that passes understanding. Now, our circumstances matter. They're not insignificant. He doesn't instruct us to put our head in the stand and go blah, 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 and forget and pretend that everything's okay when it's not. But he does, or the scripture does, lay out a way that we can live through those difficult times with peace and thrive in good times, living out God's principles in the way he teaches us to live. And that's what we're going to look at here in these next two weeks. So there's two sides to this. The first side, the one we're going to look at today, is the way we think about money, our money mindset. What is your mind set on? Human nature is to to focus, to get consumed with, to put our hope in our stuff, in our in in our, our money. You know, money is the kind of the representation of that. But as long as money is the focus of your heart you will worry. Even if you have a bunch of it, you know, they over and over again, they've done surveys on this. They ask people how much, people who make hundreds of thousands and people who make 20,000 and ask them, how much more do you need to make to be financially secure, to have financial peace? And it's always just a little bit more, like $15,000 more or something like that. It, It moves from year to year. But, you know, John Rockefeller, the richest man in the world in his day, was asked, how much more do you need? He was the equivalent of a hundred billionaire in today's money, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Because when money is your focus, there's never enough of it, and it will never make your life secure. And that's the problem. And um, so as long as money is the focus of your heart, you will worry. And that mindset shift that we're talking about today is so important. Next week, we're going to talk about what we do with money. Did you know that God gives us principles to live by that cause financially things to work better in our lives? We do. The reality is 
most of our culture has no idea how to manage their finances. Practically. It's just never been taught. And we've been conditioned over the years. I mean, from the time that I was a kid to today is, you know, you just, you just swipe the card and keep going. We just don't, we'll try not to think about it. We think about it. It's always weighing over our heads a little bit, but we just kind of like blah, 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 blah. I'm not paying attention. Swipe, 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 and hope that it works out. That's not a good plan. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week uh, because there is, uh, there's blessing There's blessing if you live God's way. And that's in any area of your life, guys. That's in your relationships. That's that's, uh, in how you, you, you do school, how you do business, how you, all of it, family, all of it. You live the way God teaches you to live and things generally get better because he designed it. He knows how it's supposed to work. But this week, we're gonna talk about mindset. How do we transform our money mindset? That's, that's what we're looking at. So in Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says this about our mindset. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. What is the... Okay, goodbye. Okay. So our money mindset... The focus of our hearts is, in our culture, is what? It's, it's, it's stuff. The pattern of our world is to focus on our stuff, to work towards our stuff, to, to, to do our stuff, um, and then hope that it all works out, and then be filled with anxiety about it in the meantime. He says, don't don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't do that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a money mindset that if you can get your head and your heart around, if you can transfer your focus from what everybody else is focused on to what God says to be focused on, there is a peace that comes, even if things aren't working out quite the way you hoped they were. So, Luke 12. If you have a Bible... Luke is in the, is in the beginning uh, of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, we're going to be in, in chapter 12, verse 22. And this is what it says. Well, actually, before I, I go into what it says, Jesus has this group of guys that are traveling with him that call the disciples, right? And the disciples are, the disciples are uh, these 12 guys who have left their business their businesses, they've left their homes, they've left their families, and they are traveling around the country with Jesus, sleeping on the ground, hanging out in tents, if they even had tents, uh, wondering where their next meal's going to come from. Now, in their day, they didn't have sheets, right? They didn't have prepackaged food that would stay shelf-stable for two years, You know, they had fish that they caught out of the lake that would be bad the next day. They didn't have refrigeration to keep their meat uh, good. Their, Their bread would go stale in a day or two. Literally, their daily bread was a big concern. Where's it gonna come from? And now they're walk, or wandering the country, camping out with this Jesus guy who's doing these amazing things that they get to be a part of. I mean, it's really cool. But uh, where's our food going to come from? 
Where are our clothes going to come from? You know, today you go into Ross Dress for Less with 50 bucks and you walk out with a bag of clothes. You know, they had to hand weave every piece of fabric and sew it together. Most people who weren't wealthy had one, maybe two outfits if they were lucky. And if it wore out, where am I going to get another one? It's a little bit different than what we experience today. And they're worried about it. Obviously, they're worried about it because Jesus is addressing it. And this is what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more important than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. So ravens were considered unclean animals in Jewish religious law. They were an unclean animal, and God provides for them. It's a bird. God cares enough for them that he provides their food, and they don't walk around wringing their hands, wondering, where am I going to get my food from? It's always there. And, and Jesus is saying, look, the same thing is going to be true for you, even though you're worried about this. You don't need to. Yet God feeds them, he says, and how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? See, we have the capacity for worry. We have the capacity to anticipate what tomorrow may or may not be. And, and so we do. We, just, we, we do worry. And Jesus is like, okay, you have the capacity to, but you don't need to because God is going to provide for you just like he provides for the birds of the air, for the ravens. Which brings me to point number one. You want to know what to do. One of the things we need to do, remember, we, the reason we worry is we what? We forget that God is with us. So we need to remember that he is with us. Uh, and that's, that's point number one. Remember that God has your life in his hands. Remember that. Remind yourself of that. Train it into your brain and into your heart. Because it's when we forget about that, that we start to freak out on the inside. Food was a big worry in their day. Jesus is like, you don't have to worry. He's with you. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. He will provide for you. Even if you don't see today exactly how that's going to happen, it's going to happen. You need to learn to be content with what you have and where you are today. I want to encourage you in this idea of remembering, maybe to memorize this verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, what has he said? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God's not going anywhere. If you have surrendered your life to him, if you have experienced the forgiveness of sin that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and you have been adopted into his family, he's got you. 
You're not going anywhere. Heck, he takes care of ravens. He's certainly going to take care of you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He cares for you more than any other human being possibly could. And he's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let you go under. That's a promise. In verse 27, Jesus goes on. He says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. King Solomon was was one of the marvels of the ancient world, one of the richest kings on the planet, probably the richest king on the planet in his day, the richest king in the history of, of Israel. He had everything, lived in opulence, and he's like, Solomon, nothing compared to the flowers. Have you ever stopped and looked at wildflowers? It's amazing. They're a miracle. And, and, and so he's like, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like, like wildflowers. And if that's how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. Guys, you're so much more important and valuable to God as one of his kids than a flower or a bird. And yet God provides for them. He will provide for you. Don't forget that he is with you. Don't forget that he's got you. You're made in his image. You're part of his family. Dad's not going to let you down, and dad's not going to let you drown. In Psalm 37, verse 25, King David wrote these words. I find them incredibly encouraging. He says, I was young, and now I'm old. So basically what David's saying, he's writing this at the end of his life. I've lived a long life, and I've seen everything. I've seen it all. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. God takes care of his kids. It's a promise. We can take a deep breath, no matter how much of a mess we're in at the moment, and know that God will carry us through to the other side. In verse 31, Jesus says this. He he goes on with with this prescription for getting our hearts free from worry, he says, but seek his kingdom, that's God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. If we seek God's kingdom first, then all of our our provision will be taken care of. That's a promise from God. Now, will you have everything you dreamed of and all the stuff that you've ever wanted? I can't promise you that. But can I promise you that you're not gonna, gonna drown? You're not going to go under? That that God will provide for you? Yes, because he's promised that. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And in his kingdom, there are riches and plenty and provision. Which brings me to point number two. Refocus your life on God's kingdom and he will take care of you. 
Part of the reason we struggle with anxiety and fear around this topic is that our eyes are focused on this world, not his. Our eyes are focused on this kingdom, not his. As human beings in our broken, sinful nature, it is almost by default that we put our hope in money. And not really money, but what money represents, what it brings us. It brings us security, comfort, and provision. And that's what we're consumed with. Money is just kind of the the thing that we look to for that. Now, isn't it interesting that God is our security, our provision, and our comfort? You see see the difference? We look to money for these things. But if we can shift our mindset to looking to God for these things, there is peace. As long as we look to money for security, provision, and comfort, there will never be peace no matter how much you have. But if you can find that in God, if you can keep your heart focused on him, he'll provide those things. He promises to. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he kind of gets down to the the essence of this. And in Matthew 6, verse 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Are you seeing that this is, a, this is a, a binary choice? Either we are, we are going to choose to love this world or, or choose to find our, our security, our comfort, our provision in money, or we will choose to look to God for those things but you can't do both. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he finishes up by saying this, you cannot serve both God and money because at the end of the day, that's what you end up doing. You end up serving one or the other. It becomes your God, the God of this age in so many ways. Money. The key to financial peace is refocusing your mind on things above. It's refocusing your mindset. What your mind is set on will be end up being your God. So you have to learn to trust that he has you. When we are looking for contentment, when we are looking for provision, when we, are, we look to him. Now, does this mean we don't ever have to think about money? No, it doesn't. We're going to talk about that next week. All right, this is not just kind of putting your head in the sand and pretending that none of that exists because I don't like it. No, it's a reality of life, but I'm talking about the primary focus of your mind and your heart. Where is that? In Philippians 4.11, it says, "For I," this is the Apostle Paul writing. Apostle Paul has been in prison He has been shipwrecked. He has had nothing, and he has been in palaces, and he has been everywhere in between on this journey that God has him on. And he says this, for I have learned to be, what? Content. Underline that word if you have your Bible out. Content, whatever the circumstances. There are some of us who are on the palace side of what Paul experienced. And there are some of us who are on the shipwreck side of what Paul has experienced. 
And yet there can be contentment in both situations, regardless of the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned what? The secret of being content. Is it not terribly comforting that the Apostle Paul had to learn how to be content? Like, if he had to learn how to be content, how much more so do we? Learn how to be content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he lands with verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we love to take that verse and put it on bookmarks and magnets and stickers and mugs and like, I can do anything. I could, you know, I played hockey when I was in in high school. I could be Wayne Gretzky through Christ who gives me strength. I will never, ever be Wayne Gretzky. And neither will you. Right? I can't do anything I want because Christ gives me strength. That's That's not what Paul was saying. We like to use it that way. I'm going to stand on that promise. Sure, you stand on that promise, but that's not what Paul meant. What Paul meant is whether I have nothing or I have everything, if I have Christ living in me, his spirit living in me, giving me strength, I can thrive. I can have peace that passes understanding and not have two pennies to rub together. Or I can survive and my heart can survive without being corrupted if I have a bunch of pennies to rub together. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's specifically talking about what we're talking about today, financial fear. You know, a great exercise, spiritual exercise, is to ask yourself, what would it be like if my situation changed entirely today? My my aunt and uncle are older and a um, couple years back, they decided that they were going to write their obituary and plan their funeral. And it's so funny because, you know, you talk to them and they're like, it was the wonderful thing. I'm like, writing your obituary? Incredibly freeing, like facing the fact that, hey, I'm going to be dead. At some point, you're going to be dead, you know? And so facing that fact and going, am I okay with that now? Because you live differently after that. Well, the same thing is true with our finances, and I would encourage you to do this. Spend a little bit of time thinking about, if you lost everything, would you be okay? What does that look like? Does your your inner world fall apart? Do you lean on Christ, or do you just melt down and lose it? And the reality is most of us won't lose everything. Most of us live on this trajectory that looks something like this, financially speaking. The economy does well, the economy doesn't do so well. The economy does well, I mean, we live on a financial cycle and our lives, depending on where we are in our life cycle, we're tied to that in one way, shape, or another. It's ups and it's downs. But there's something powerful about thinking through the extreme. What does that look like? And then going, you know what, I'm gonna live that way. Live like you're dying. I'm going to live that way. I'm going to live with my heart focused on Christ and his kingdom and and that peace, regardless of whether I have everything or nothing. 
Would you be okay? And then in verse 33, Jesus pivots. He gives us a very practical thing to do to shift our mindset. And I think he speaks in a way that really gets his disciples' attention and probably will get yours as well. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now, Jesus never, I mean, there, there are one or two occasions where Jesus says, sell it all and give it away. The, the, the rich young ruler was one of, those, one of those stories. And I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think Jesus is saying, discipline yourself to give some away. He knows we need to live inside and have clothes and food, but give some away. Sell some, sell something if you need to, something that you, you need, that you love, something that's first in your life. And what this will do, if you give it away, it focuses your heart on heaven. It focuses your heart on his kingdom. It, it teaches you, you discipline yourself, and then you learn the joy of living open-handed, of trusting God you know, back in, in March and April, we did our series, Bridging the Gap, where we were, uh, at the end of that, we did pledges for the project across the street and several other projects that we were working on. And, uh, but for me, it was less about the money raised. It was really about training our hearts. I, the call was live generously and live sacrificially and invest in what God is doing and see what that does to your heart. See what that does to your life and, and, and your, your financial life and what's going on in here. And um, set your heart free, really. And we didn't ask people to you know, sell everything, give everything or anything, anything close to that. Pray and ask God what he wants you to do and, and do it. And, um, but what we realized as we were putting that together is we wanted the little kids, the little ones, to learn this lesson as well. Now, the problem is, is little ones to have no concept of money. And so we came up with this crazy plan. We said, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll ask the little kids to, not force them, ask them to give their very favoritest toy in the whole world. Their very favoritest thing. And so one, some kids, it was their, their blankie that they had since they were a baby. And for others, it's like, you know, their Captain America shield. And it was their favorite thing. Like every morning they got up and got the Captain and it, and guys, there were tears. Like initially when that was, was, was explained, there were, there were tears. Like, like when you're four or five years old and your favoriteest toy, your whole world's wrapped up in your favoriteest toy. And we're like, oh, was this too extreme? Did we ask too much? But you know what? Like happens with us, once they got past that initial shock, they got excited about the kids, little kids in Costa Rica that were going to get those toys. They got excited about the generosity that they got to participate in, and they realized that was just a thing. 
And that's the problem. If, if, if you can't sell something, you don't own it, it owns you, right? And then they learn. They learn that at, at, at a little age. It's just stuff. And God backfills the stuff. And like when you're a little kid, your parent probably gets you a bigger toy because they're so proud that you did that, you know? And so they're going to, you know, Christmas is coming or whatever. And they learned that stuff shouldn't have a hold on our hearts. Now, in the midst of that, I felt like God whispered in my ear, I want your very favorite toy. And I was very upset. I... I mean, literally took my breath away. If you, and if you were around for that, you know this. If you weren't around for it, my, my very favoriteest toy, my very favoriteest thing to do is to get on my adventure motorcycle, put bluegrass in the, in the ears of the helmet, and head off into the wilderness. And I, love, I mean, it's my favoriteest thing in the whole world. And I felt like God whispered in my ear, I want you to sell that motorcycle and donate the money. And I went, and then I cried some tears. But you know what happened? I got excited after, uh, after wrestling with the Lord on that, I got excited about it. I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord. I hope there's another bike there somewhere. But in the meantime, I know that, that this, is, this is what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. And I don't want that to own me. And it was powerful. It was profound. It changes the way you think about your stuff. See, our hearts are tied to our stuff. Our hearts are tied to the wrong things and the wrong places. And Jesus finishes up with this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, heart and mind in the biblical sense, they're kind of tied together, you know, we try and separate them, but they're kind of tied together. It's where is your mindset? Where is your focus? Is it in God's kingdom? Is it in, in the things of him where there is no worry or fear? Or is it in our stuff, our provision, our, our security, and our comfort, and we're looking to money for that? Where is it? And Jesus tells his disciples very clearly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell some of that stuff or I want you to give some of that stuff enough that it challenges your heart to trust me. And I want you to experience the joy of being on mission with me. But more importantly, I want you to experience the freedom of not worrying about it anymore. As long as your hope is primarily here, you will wrestle with fear. That's, that's the truth of this. Which brings me to point three. Place your hope and heart in heaven through generosity. When you're investing in what God is doing, it pulls your heart towards him. You get to be a part of his mission in the world. You get a front seat to see what he is doing, to be a part of what he is doing, to join him in what he is doing, and you get a front seat to his miraculous provision along the way, which is as you walk with him, you more and more learn to trust that, and your peace grows more and more in the process. And he teaches us how to be content, even without an adventure motorcycle, which I know most of you live without, and you do just fine, but for me, you know, That's the mindset. 
Our mindset, three easy things that aren't all that easy, are they? But there is a peace that passes understanding if we can get this right. Now, what we try to do is work on the practical side of it, whether it's outworking our spending or being frugal and fearful with our money to try and build up enough that we can have our hope in those things, but that's not a pathway to peace either. That being said, what Jesus lays out here is not an excuse to be stupid with money. It's not an excuse to to be ignorant or lazy or not know what God has to say about this topic. There are some very practical things. God gives us in his word, it's like the user's manual for life. He gives us some very practical things that when we apply those principles or his teaching to our lives, life works better. Just does. And it's true in the area of finances as well. For some of us, we would use what I just taught you today as an excuse to put our heads in the cloud and be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. But it's both. It's the mindset, and then also, how do we steward what God has trusted us to with? And the Bible says a lot about how to handle money. We're going to talk about that next week. If you want to win in a practical way with finances, you need to be here next week. But here's what I know today. There are many of us who are living in the midst of a financial mess because either we don't know, we haven't known, or we bought into the paradigm of this world. And there's shame about that, there's guilt about that, there's fear surrounding that. And your heavenly Father sees what you're dealing with and he cares, and he loves you, and he wants to bring peace to your life. He really does. Some of us have messes in our finances, some of us in our relationships, some of us with our kids, and in any other variety of places where we can make messes, we've all made some messes. The wonderful news about that is that God already knows about our messes, and he loves us anyway. And that God wants to walk you through the pain. And there's pain associated with our messes. Let's just be real. He wants to walk you through the pain and out of the mess. And he will help you. We will help you. And part of the reason the church exists is that we help people find and then follow God. That follow God part of it is teaching you how to live by the principles and, and plans and ways that God tells us to live. We can help you with a lot of that. But I will say this, getting there, getting out of the mess, it does take effort on your part. There are things that you're going to have to walk through But the hardest part is dealing with the, the shame and the guilt. And God takes care of that. That you can't, like, do enough good things to get past the shame and the guilt. No, that part of it is a gift from God. That's why Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross to pay for your shame and your guilt and your sin.
And at the end of all that, once all that's washed away, you still have the practical consequences of the messes that you made, but then he walks you out of those. You and God working together, putting the pieces back together. But only the cross, only the blood of Jesus pays for the forgiveness of your sin. And when we ask God to forgive our sin, we acknowledge the messes that we made and the mistakes that we've made and where we've turned our back on him. And we come to him and say, I'm sorry. I want to be part of your family. I want to live your way. I want you to come and live in my life by your spirit. All the shame and guilt of the messes gets washed away. And we get a brand new start. And that's what God's heart is for you. You get adopted into his family. And you learn to live a different life, one that actually works. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And it's not the words of this prayer that, that, uh, that save you. It's the heart of this prayer. And the heart of this prayer, and you can say it in your own words, but the heart of this prayer is, God, I've made a mess. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I want you to come live in my life and adopt me into your family and give me a brand new start. And if you've never done that before, let's bow our heads right now, close our eyes, and invite him to do that in your life. You just say something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I've made some messes. I've got some sin. And I need your forgiveness. Lord, would you power wash my soul? Would you wash away the shame and the guilt? Would you come and live in my heart and lead my life? Would you adopt me into your family so that I never have to worry again? I choose now to make you my Lord and Savior. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Folks, people getting baptized today have received that gift. We got, I think, last I heard, was it 27 or 29? I don't know. These people keep signing up. We have a bunch of people getting baptized today. And they have, they have made the decision to follow Jesus, to ask him into their lives, to be adopted into his family. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that their messes are gone magically. But what it does mean is they are forgiven, that God is with them and in them, and that their future is moving towards his kingdom. He has a plan for them, life and blessing. And when the hard parts come, and they come in every life, he will carry them through. Baptism is three things. It's a, it's a statement. I've decided to follow Jesus. These people are saying publicly, I've decided to follow him. This is their proclamation. It's also a symbol a picture of the washing away of our sins and a picture of being, being joined with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection to a brand new life. It's a symbol. 
And lastly, it's a step of obedience. If you made the decision to follow Jesus, baptism is your next step. It's the first step after praying the prayer that we just prayed a minute ago. And so if you prayed that prayer with me, your next step is to get baptized and we'll let you know the next time we're doing baptism. But for us today, this is a celebration. It's a celebration of the way God changes lives. And so let's sing loud. Let's uh, pray for these folks as they are being prayed for. And let's cheer for them as they come up out of the water to a brand new life. So let's stand together. We're going to sing as we, uh, as we do the baptisms. I encourage you to stick around. You don't want to miss this. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you change stories. Thank you that you reach into our messes, God, and you turn them into masterpieces. And thank you that you're here right now. Lord, we celebrate with you and the angels in heaven as these folks stand up today to say, I am yours. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.